0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Fed Watch. My name is Answer Lindner. I am here as always with my co-host CK. How are you doing, CK?
1: What's up? Doing good, boss. Exciting day. Some more, uh, some more Federal Very Reserve FOMC stuff to talk about.
0: Yes, today is FOMC day, so we will go into the confused Powell. He's still speaking right now over there. You can find it after this. After you guys watch this live stream, you can go find and listen to the the words straight out of the horse's mouth. Maybe we'll go through that on another episode of FedWatch to see exactly what he's saying. But there is some mixed signals out there. Um, What else? What else are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about charts. And a couple of news items like the diesel shortage. But do you have any admin notes up front here, CK?
1: The Bitcoin conference in less than 200 days, May 18th through the 20th, it is going to be an absolute blast. Ticket prices are going up. And if you buy your ticket today, a percentage of the ticket is going to go over to supporting the initiative over in El Salvador to get as many people seed signers as possible. So we are trying to supply them with as much money as possible so that way they can build seed signers down in El Salvador for newly minted Bitcoiners down there in conjunction with the Adopting Bitcoin Conference. So go support seed signer, go support Bitcoin education in El Salvador by buying your ticket to Bitcoin 2023 in Miami Beach. That is May 18th through the 20th. And then of course, the Orange Party issue of the Print Bitcoin Magazine. It is hitting our warehouse Tomorrow, and we will be shipping it out from there. So go and subscribe, store.bitcoinmagazine.com. Use promo code BMLive for both the ticket as well as a magazine to save. But Ansel, that's enough for me. You had some personal notes. YouTube is oh, yeah. uh, trying to censor you. What went down?
0: Well, I've been doing my live streams with uh, Telegram and Twitter Spaces. And then a couple days ago, I think it was Monday, I decided, hey, I'm going to live stream on YouTube as well. What a great idea. And so I was doing that. And then during yesterday's live stream, after the live stream, my channel was just terminated. I tried to go to see if anybody watched the live stream and uh, it said a big red banner saying your your account, this account has been terminated. Checked my email, saw the post in there or saw the email in there that said, you know, a, you did something against the terms of service, like, like a scam, or you tried to sell, do some deceptive marketing or something like that. I was like, what? That's nothing what I said. I'm not an ICO scammer. And anyway, so my community kind of came up with the idea that I mentioned a certain politician from South America that recently there was some controversy around some of his stuff down there. And so I just mentioned it very quickly. All the headlines of mainstream media, I didn't even like put any sort of a conspiratorial spin on it. I did mention some globalists from Davos and how the Marxists are losing. But that's it. That's all I said on the stream and somehow my thing was terminated. Anyway, I've appealed it. So it's it's up to YouTube now. I mean, I've never had a strike on my channel. I don't I don't mince my words either. I just you know, nothing has ever come up that I've never promoted different conspiracy theories that's not my thing to talk about. So, yeah, that's what happened and hopefully I get my YouTube channel back soon.
1: Well, you got to tweet about it, man. That is I one did. way to to get their attention and I'm going to Hey, if you're here, go find Ansel's tweet, go to Ansel Lindner on Twitter and retweet it. Go yell at YouTube, help him out.
0: Yeah, the YouTube team already did respond. So, I saw your your Telegram message. I went and tweeted about it and the YouTube team did respond, Mm -hmm. but then they just said file an appeal. So that's, that's already been done. So we'll see if anything comes of it, but I have set up a rumble channel. So I know you guys are broadcasting right now on rumble and that's, that's a good alternative. So I'm still doing my live streams and they'll just be going up on rumble and my regular podcast and that stuff.
1: Cheers to everyone watching on rumble. Rumble is bigger than Bitcoin, then sorry, Rumble is bigger than YouTube on some days. So you love to see it.
0: Hit the like button. We'll see. We'll have a competition how many likes we can get between Rumble and YouTube.
1: Let's do it. All right. Ansel, should we jump into it?
0: Yes. Okay. So uh, basically, the Fed decided to raise 75 basis points. If you're not, you know, if you're in this, watching this live stream right now, you probably already knew that, but I was, so I'd live streamed this morning and I was talking about some language I was seeing out there, like this, this guy, Nick to Mario from the wall street journal. He's kind of like the fed whisperer and he was using the term pivot a lot there, there that has really been kind of a trending word out there, fed pivot. And so I, I was saying that it seems like if one of the biggest guys out there talking about the fed, the fed whisperer is mentioning this term. Perhaps he's trying to nudge the Overton window that way to talk, you know, that the the Fed will pivot. So anyway, then the, the, the announcement dropped 75 basis points. People were initially, they read it and they saw some dovish language in there. I can read that out. I'll probably read that out here in a second. There was some dovish, dovish language, but then at the press conference that was still going on as we stepped on the broadcast here right now, he kind of. Backtracked from that those dovish comments and tried to hammer home hawkishness. So you can see that he's trying to walk this fine line between getting a little bit more dovish, but you know hammering home on this hawkishness. So a very interesting Fed meeting. What what was your takeaway well, from the first? Few just minutes? a dumb
1: question. Just a dumb yeah. question for for those new to the macro jargon. Hawkish yeah. means that they're yeah. going to continue aggressively increasing rates, and dovish means they're going to start you know slowing down or easing is that correct
0: yeah dovish would be stimulate stimulatory they're going to ease they're going to stimulate the the economy the the add more liquidity to the system and hawkish would be obviously the opposite of that so they're going to do qt they already are doing qt they're going to continue doing qt and they're continuing to raise at the same pace 75 basis points
1: all right so i guess you know, what, what, what do you make of this? You've been, you've been saying that they, the fed will be forced to pivot. I guess, do you have some charts to mm-hmm. kind of show that trend in progress?
0: Yeah. Let's, let's bring up slide number five, you could Chris. And we'll go through some of these, some of these rates. So this is my rate rainbow chart, kind of showing the, the yield curve a little bit. And you can see that red line is the 10 year. And it is touching the top of this new Fed funds range right now. Initially, it dropped down into that range. So the top of the Fed funds range is 4% now. It goes from 375 to 4%. And the 10-year was at 3.95% right after the, this announcement. So this is the first time in this whole rate rising cycle that, the, that we're in from the Fed that the 10 year has been this low, this into the fed funds target range. Also, if you can look, actually go to a slide number four, please, Chris, that is just these, the 10, the 10 year is the black line and the three month is the blue line. And you can see that, well, one, you can see the 10 year kind of dipping into that fed funds range, but also you can see the three month is inverted above the 10 year. And that is the gold standard for imminent recession when that when those two lines invert. And so it's interesting that the Fed is continuing the 75 basis point move this right here, this slide, I think shows why so many people were expecting something other than 75 basis points. What's your reaction to that, that chart?
1: So this chart is really similar to what we looked at yes or last week. Obviously you added in the fed funds, you know, kind of ranges there, but like you said it's the gold standard and, you know, the the longer out should have higher yields because you have to wait longer for it. So yeah. this is obviously indicating that there's something wrong and if the 10-year is a leading indicator and these other bonds start to lower their yield or the, you know, the market starts pricing their yields lower than, you know, it's exactly what you say it is.
0: Yeah. That means there's no time preference, right? The time preference is inverted actually on, on this chart, but also I put these big arrows on here because I wanted to point out that right at the beginning or right after the previous fed rate hike. So when they got to that range, that is 3% to 3.25%, the, the 10 year kind of spiked and then came back. A little bit. And you can see before this decision, it spiked and it's come back a little bit. I just wanted to point that out. So there is a possibility that the 10-year does reverse and continue higher. But my theory has always been that the interest rates will force the Fed to pivot. And this is what I mean. If the 10-year, the this black line continues going down, that's going to force the Fed to to stop their rate hikes in, unless they want to look bad and lose face, lose confidence in the market and the Fed mythology wear off, right? So right now, everybody today was waiting with bated breath to hear what was the Fed was going to do. I mean, it was crazy. It was almost eerily calm this morning out there in macro land and everybody was waiting for what the Fed was going to do. So the Fed mythology right now is super strong. But if they continue to raise rates while the 10-year, the 30-year, even the five-year, those start coming down and going lower than the Fed funds range, their mythology is going to blow up in their face very quickly. So will the Fed be able to raise rates despite yields coming down? We'll see. So that kind of outlines what I'm watching here, what I'm waiting for the next, like I would say, two to four weeks what the next uh, move is for interest rates.
1: I mean, it, it really is fascinating to, you know, be sitting here with you over the course of this entire rate increase period. And you've been forecasting this the whole time. So it's very interesting to see the 10 years start dipping down and I'll be very interested to see, you know, how the fed and how the market responds when the 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 difference between what the fed is you know reporting rates are and then what the market is pricing the mat when that starts to really deviate you know i'm very interested to see what the market responds and how quickly the fed acts too
0: absolutely so should i read through the fed comments what the announcement uh, actually says i think this is interesting for people all right so i will in the write up to this this show, I will include a link to this, but you guys can find it on the Federal Reserve.gov website. So they have their press releases, and this is just their FOMC statement. So I'll read through this. So recent indicators point to modest growth in spending and production. Job gains have been robust in recent months, and the unemployment rate has remained low. Inflation remains elevated reflecting supply and demand imbalances related to the pandemic, higher food and energy prices, and broader price pressures. So that's the first paragraph, and I'll just point out, they don't say money printing here. <laughs> they call this inflation, but it's all this, that the supply and demand imbalance is due to pandemic, high food and energy, and broad price pressures, but not money printing. All right, Russia's war against Ukraine is causing tremendous human and economic hardship. The war and related events are creating additional upward pressure on inflation and are weighing on global economic activity. The committee is highly attentive to inflation risks. Okay. Once again, it's the war and the sanctions, right? Not money printing. So what does the fed have to do with all this? Let's continue. The committee seeks to achieve maximum employment and inflation at the rate of 2% over the longer run in support of an, an, 2% 2% over the longer run that is an actual change. So remember in the past it was a asymmetric 2% target. So they could they would be happy with 1% inflation. Then they added the language maybe 5 years ago or 3 years ago that said it wasn't it was a symmetric target of 2%. So they would fight low inflation and they would fight high inflation around the center of 2%, and that's their goal. Then it changed again after COVID hit, and they said they would be willing to endure a period over 2%. So 2% in the longer run. That means inflation expectations are at 2%. So they're, they're okay with inflation being 4%, as long as inflation expectations are at 2%. All right. Let's continue. In support of these goals, the committee decided to raise the target range of the federal funds rate at to three and a quarter to four percent. The committee anticipates that ongoing increases in the target range will be appropriate in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to two percent over time. In determining the pace of future increases in the target range, the committee will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation, and economic and financial developments. So that actually is a change in the language that people were looking at, this word cumulative. So let me read that sentence again. In determining the pace of future increases, the committee will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy. So how far have they come? How fast and how far? So that's like a cumulative tightening. The lags in which monetary policy affects, take into account, oh, sorry, I lost my place. The lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation and economic and financial developments. So they're taking into account a broad range of different things, which we've talked about here on the show, like the Swiss National Bank needing swap lines we saw the stuff happen in the UK the global kind of dollar liquidity is definitely on the mind of the federal reserve when they're making this this type of decision so cumulative tightening was a change in policy or in their verbiage here in addition the committee will continue reducing its holdings of treasury securities and agency debt and agency mortgage backed securities As described, blah blah blah. So they'll continue with their quantitative tightening, which is happening at a very fast pace at this point now. All right, continuing. In assessing the appropriate stance of monetary policy, the committee will continue to monitor the implications of upcoming information for the economic outlook. The committee would to adjust the stance of monetary policy as appropriate if risks emerge that could impede the attainment of the committee's goals. So that's another important part bit of verbiage. I'll read that one more time. The committee would be prepared to adjust the stance of monetary policy as appropriate if risks emerge that could impede the attainment of the committee's goals. The committee's assessment will take into account a wide range of information including readings on public health, labor market conditions, inflation pressures and inflation expectations, and financial and international developments all right so that's the whole whole statement and i want i just want to reiterate that they have changed their language to be a little bit more dovish with this cumulative tightening idea and also that they are willing to adjust the stance of monetary policy as appropriate so instead of saying until the job is done it will be enough we will conquer inflation they say we're willing to adjust if you know, if it's, if if it's appropriate. So kind of interesting changes there. And you can see how people initially, when this dropped, people interpreted this as dovish. And that's why the stock market rallied, Bitcoin rallied right away, because this was interpreted as dovish. All right, I'll stop there, CK. What do you have in response to this statement?
1: I mean, it... I just want to like zoom out and point out the fact that the fact that everyone is still reading tea leaves with how they're saying things and what they might be open to doing and all this stuff like that is screaming to you what the hell is wrong with this system. Marty Brandt always brings up this, you know, when he was working in as a financial analyst, how during an FOMC meeting, people were trying to analyze the color of Janet Yellen's suit. You know, you mm-hmm. read all of these letters. Most people don't. But you are teasing out, are they saying we will crush inflation or are we open-minded to another strategy? And like, it is just absolutely ridiculous. like, this is how we are making capital allocation, resource allocations across a complex economy. Like, this is why we need a system like Bitcoin. We need something that's out of their hands and we need something that anyone can interpret. Like, there is a massive advantage of having something that anyone can interpret. So- I mean, I, I just think it's absolutely crazy in terms of like, can I read the tea leaves as good as you? I mean, I have to kind of settle on, on your, your ability to kind of like tease these things out. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really resting on your analysis here, which is that they see the yields inverting. They have to start mm-hmm. pivoting their language. And this is something that's been called out on this show for months.
2: Hey, guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point about the kind of hollowness of the financial system. If everyone's waiting on what the Fed is about to say, but it also tells you that there is so much there's piles and piles and piles of unproductive debt out there. And they need to somehow, you know, tweak it this way a little bit and that way a little bit to get another basis point to get another basis point. Because there is so much unproductive debt, that's the end of the system. And so yeah, great, great points on that. I have a couple comments from people that so from his press call, said this is Walter Bloomberg Delatone, Dela Delion or whatever on uh, Twitter. I Delta, one. This. Delta one. Delta one. Oh, is it Delta One? Okay, thank you. Walter Bloomberg Powell says time to slow. May come as soon as next meeting. Mm, big dovish statement there. Now that this other one from some other account that I can't pronounce, Powell. He says likely we'll have a discussion of smaller hike in December. Very very interesting. But now Peter DeCosta, is that how you say it? DeCosta. He says, "Quote: It is very premature to be thinking about pausing our rate hikes. We have a ways to go." From Powell. So you can see these are all mixed mixed messaging. I think on purpose, actually, I think this mixed messaging is on purpose because the Fed doesn't want the market to be trying to front run a pivot. The The Fed doesn't, you know, the, I always go back to this quote from Paul Krugman, and he said this about Japan way back in the day. And he said, the reason why QE didn't work over in Japan was because they didn't promise to be irresponsible enough. So they, You know, it's expected. If something is expected, then the market isn't going to react the same way. So you have to build up this narrative that keeps people on the fence. Is the Fed going to pivot? Are they not going to pivot? Is it going to be 25 basis points? Is it going to be 75 basis points? You know, they got to keep you on the fence because that way their monetary policy is always unexpected and it will have a, the, the proper res- effect on the market. So, what do you think about these quotes? Do you think I'm reading this right? I know you said you defer to my kind of analysis, but does this sound like, do, do I sound way off base here? How about that question?
1: No, I mean, no. And again, when, when like fed policy is a matter of mass psychology. So mm. it makes sense that if that is the real tool then they have to be conducting mass psychological manipulation in order to have any effect. So that line of thinking seems to align with what their tool actually is. And that's been something that you've been teasing out on this show for a long time. Is one, their, their only tool is expectation management and the myth of the Fed. And then beyond that, the market is gonna do what it's gonna do. And the only thing the Fed can do is react. And when they do react, all they do is create more confusion. This is why we kind of talk about the monetary hurricane. So from first principles thinking, I think it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, again, we've been calling out this outcome for a while. So again, I would say from first principles thinking, based on the assumptions that we're making, it would make sense that this is what a pivot starts to look like.
0: Yeah, all right, I have a few other quotes here, and these are from Wall Street strategists. So from a Zero Hedge article, I'm going to read a few of these out. Ian Lingan at BMO Capital Markets. Cumulative tightening and lagged impact impact suggest that this will be the last 75 basis point hike, and in December, the move will most likely be 50 basis points. All right, from Eric Winogrand of Alliance Bernstein. This statement is clear that they would like to slow the pace of hikes. In addition to looking at the data and looking at markets, they are also now considering the cumulative impact of what they have already done. All right. Peter Bakvar, CIO at Bleakley Advisory Group, quote, the front loading is essentially over. And rate hikes from here will be more cognizant of the new economic environment we're in with respect to the much tighter costs of capital and economic clouds that are circling. This is the Fed's way of telling us that a slowdown in the pace of future hikes is upon us. Okay. And I'll stop there more like this. Pretty much the initial reaction was dovish. Like I said, I think it's interesting. I mean, they are reading tea leaves.
1: And so people are saying in the chat that the yields aren't inverted.
0: The yields aren't inverted? The three-month, ten-year? I'll look at it right now. Unless it uninverted. Just Nope, it's still at three basis points inverted, the ten-year, three-month. So right now it is still three basis points. The ten-year, two-year inversion is at 50 basis points. So it is very heavily inverted. That's the... Most inversion since the great financial crisis, if not even more than the great financial crisis. So, no, yields are definitely inverted hardcore right now.
1: So, correction Powell said that yields aren't inverted.
0: They're saying Powell said they aren't inverted, not in. Oh, holy cow. Very interesting. So, Powell is making a as if he's not looking at the charts, is that what you're telling me?
1: I guess it's just one of those things where a politician gets on screen and says, "This is not what it is. The yields are not inverted oh, at all."
0: Or they're yes, Jedi powers uh, now. Yeah, or or the, like taking credit for social security increases as if they had something to do with it. They're out there on a tweet this morning. I don't want to say politicians' names anymore on streams because I don't want to get another YouTube channel terminated. <laughs> All right. All right. Next. So where should we go from here?
1: I mean, I, I think that, I mean, we can look at, I would love to look at the Bitcoin chart. We did break out of that range, but now it seems like we're back to consolidation. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, let's do that. Let's take a look at these charts here. If you just want to pull up chart number one there, Chris, please. Now, these are from earlier today. So the live stream, my live stream I did this morning on Telegram and Spaces, I showed this tightening range here, this symmetrical triangle, and that I believe there was a higher chance of this breaking up from here. If you go to the next chart, next slide, this is what it looked like in the 5, 10 minutes after the FOMC announcement, and it did. It looked like, hey, Bitcoin is going up. But right now, I just took a look at this chart, and Bitcoin is actually falling out of the bottom of this. I can't bring it up on a new new image here, but right now we're sitting at 20,246. So it looks like it's breaking down. But again, there's a lot of volatility around these type of meetings. And as we have detailed here, just in the first 30 minutes of this show, how much confusion there is about was this duffish? Was this hawkish? What does this mean for the Fed pivot? What does this mean for monetary policy going forward? There's so much confusion out there. I'm not surprised that the volatility in something like Bitcoin and stocks are going to be this this wild. Let me take a look real quick at stocks before I hand it back to you, CK, because we don't have a chart for stocks today. So it was initially surged as well at the FOMC meeting, but now it is falling down just barely red what for the day. specifically? So I'm S&P? looking at the S&P, S&P 500. And for the day, it's, it's down, let's see. Oh, 2% on the day. So it is a pretty big day down for the S&P 500. All right, now I'll hand it back to you, CK. What are your thoughts on, on Bitcoin chart and the effects of this meeting?
1: I mean, it feels like it was a sell the sell the news event. You know, people are anticipating big news today, big day, price pumping on that. And then the news was, okay, I mean, I guess it was interesting news, but it doesn't even matter because it was a sell the news moment regardless.
0: Well, kind of. I've, I think that the initial react is reacting to the FOMC minute drop. So when the minutes dropped people interpreted that cumulative type language and that they're willing to change their monetary stance as dovish so then the markets went up but then when Powell started speaking at the press conference and he said some of these things about no 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 we're it's not we're not ready to cut rates we're not ready to stop hiking and he got really hawkish on it that's when markets fell so i don't know when i also when i see moves like this from the fed from the fed press cases it's not based on fundamentals so you almost have to take that out uh, that initial reaction the volatility that follows these types of events you have to take that out of your process and say okay well this doesn't tell me anything about fundamentals so let's maybe look at the seven day moving average or the 20 day moving average or something like that because that has a lot less of this kind of norm
1: That makes sense as well. And I mean, like you said, they're trying to create confusion anyways, right? So the minutes, maybe they lighten up their language, they come on on television, yeah. you know, they pretend like nothing's changed. And ultimately, you know, people just don't know what to make of it. I think what you're saying is that it doesn't really matter what they say, the rates are going down. And we can already see that in the deep inversions on the 10 and two, and you said the 10 and five. Yeah, correct yeah, me the, if I'm the wrong ten- on that.
0: Well the ten and two is inverted. Month, the the ten...
1: Ten... Sorry.
0: Go ahead. Well, the ten the ten years inverted with almost everything, other than maybe the one month. So the four week and two month maybe is not inverted, but it is inverted with everything down to the three month. So that's Pretty significant, but yeah, the, the only other chart I have on this or for macro is the dollar. So, Chris, if you want to bring oh, up number three, I guess,
1: I guess before we
0: oh, before we jump ahead, onto sorry.
1: that, I guess I was just going to say, you know, what you're saying is regardless of what they do or say, it doesn't matter. the 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 market and the rates are going to adjust down because that is that's the trend, and they're going to have to adjust. My question for you is, do you think? I, I really do think there's two options. They're forced to adjust. the f- The myth of the Fed is broken, and the markets don't really respond at all. Or maybe they even fall. They don't. They don't pump because the because the Fed is now easing. Or the option number two is that the trend, which is you know that every time they ease, market you know prices skyrocket, and and there's a, a sharp rebound. At least the trend from 2020 like that that will continue and we're going to see we're going to see risk assets turn up. I guess what's based on what you're seeing right now and maybe even this fake out this morning, you know, what what do you make of, you know, what what the market is trying to do with the news of a pivot?
0: Oh man. Well, I think that at least the US market is appearing to be quite robust to all of the challenges that it has been thrown at it in recent months. So we have obviously nearly a global war going on, right? We have a bunch of sanctions. We have energy crises. We have and trade wars happening, currency wars happening, everything's happening. We also have the Fed hiking interest rates like crazy, yet somehow the economy is not falling apart. It's doing quite well. So that's why I'm saying that the fed will stop. Eventually the market knows the fed will stop. The the fed will not raise like Paul Volcker, you know, up to 20, uh, up to 20%. They already tell us that they're going to stop, you know, after December or in the very first few months of 2023. So so the market is looking ahead past that. So what the, they're seeing that the economy is quite bust right now and that the fed is about to stop. So, Uh, That's why I think that things are looking strong. I'm I'm bullish on stocks. I'm bullish on Bitcoin. And a lot of people don't like that. That is definitely the contrarian view out there. So, yeah, Uh, the the thing that's hard to to square with that is the three month, 10 year inversion, because when yields are inverted, that means that there's typically a signal that there is going to be a recession coming. I think We already had a recession in the first two quarters of this year. And we talked about that many times on the show. I think we had a recession back then. Q3 has come out now and it was 2.6% positive annualized for Q3 GDP. That's a pretty big number going from negative to 2.6%. So how do I square that all with a good economy? The stock market is fairly strong. Bitcoin is not falling off a cliff. Bitcoin is actually inching its way upward, but the yields are inverted. Well, I mean, we could just have a mild recession. So maybe Q4 is negative and Q1 is slightly negative, but then Q2 in 2023 is back positive again. So we don't have to have a very negative like hard landing. we couldn't we can have just a a mild back and forth between negative and positive real GDP. Two caveats to that. I do know that GDP is not a good measurement, okay And in within GDP real GDP, you also have inflation measurements. <laughs> so you have two kind of subpar variables that you're trying to tease out to see what growth is. So, Overall, I, I think that it is the best measurement that we have, and it does fit in with my general theory that we are going back towards a post-GFC normal of low inflation and low growth. I mean, we could see what happens if we see two years of quarter by quarter bouncing between negative 1% and 1%, negative 1%, 1%. That's going to feel like a recession, definitely 100%. It's going to feel like a depression. Because not having any growth, especially all the way back since the Great Financial Crisis, basically we've had very low growth. That it it gets it's really bad on the psychology of society, and it can feel definitely like a depression. Now that's the U.S., but that doesn't count for European countries, for Asian countries, you know, South American countries. There there could be all sorts. Of stuff happening where they go through massive recessions, but the US kind of skates by with this around zero percent growth. All right. Enough of that. Does that answer the question, CK?
1: Very in-depth answer, Ansel. Let's jump into the dollar chart.
0: Okay, so this is pretty much well. I have two more charts when we talk about oil or diesel, but this one is the dollar. So if you could bring up number three, Chris, please. All right. And so this is just showing kind of this wedge formation that we saw. We saw breakout higher, kind of struggled with staying up and now it dipped down. In the last couple days, we did see a little bit of a rally, but then after this FOMC meeting, it has also sold off. I'm going to take a look at the live price. Okay. It had from that red candle all the way to being green for the day. Currently so this this chart is also old news, but what I thought was interesting, uh, you can see these kind of time, these little bars with the time, and it says 20, it says 20 bars. So that's 20 days. And I thought it was really interesting that from the top of that kind of correction back in July to the bottom in August was 20 days. And if you measure from the top of when we hit it in September, end of September, to the bottom just at the end of October, that was also 20 days. I thought that was very interesting. Anyway, that's all I have for the dollar. Any comments on the dollar?
1: No comments, sir. Let's jump into oil.
0: Okay. So slide number six, I found this good summary of the diesel, the stuff going on in the diesel market. You guys have probably heard that there is a looming shortage in diesel. The price of diesel has been going up over the past few days. I got this off of oilprice.com. It's a great website. You guys should go subscribe, check it on a weekly basis to see the top stores there because I think it gives really good insight. But here I'll just read through this article a little bit. The U.S. diesel shortage is worsening. And then the bullet points are The U.S. diesel shortage is worsening as distillate inventories crash to multi-year lows. U.S. refiners permanently shut down some refinery capacity at the start of the pandemic when fuel, fuel demand plunged. A diesel shortage and high diesel prices don't bode well for the global economy, which could tip into recession at some point next year. All right, now this is for the main body of the article. Multi-year low inventories and constraints in supply are exacerbating a diesel shortage in the United States, especially on the East Coast. Diesel demand continues to be strong after recovering faster than the pandemic slump from the pandemic slump than other fuels, such as gasoline refiners, say. But several factors have Combined this year to deplete U.S. distillate inventories, which include diesel and heating oil. And ahead of the winter, the distillate fuel crunch is worsening. U.S. refining capacity is now lower than it has been; it was before COVID, as operable refinery capacity shrank in 2021 for a second consecutive year to stand at 17.9 million barrels per calendar day as of January 1st, 2022, according to. EIA estimates. US refiners permanently shut down some refinery capacity at the start of the pandemic when fuel demand plunged, while others closed facilities to convert them into biofuel refineries. Brilliant, brilliant guys. Some refineries were under maintenance this autumn reducing the availability of products in addition. The United the US banned imports of all Russian energy products after the Russian invasion of Ukraine and hasn't imported any petroleum products from Russia since April. Lower refinery capacity in the U.S. since the pandemic, seasonal, seasonal maintenance at refineries globally, and a major strike in France have all combined in recent weeks to create a shortage of middle distillates, not only in the U.S., but also worldwide. The world is also scrambling for diesel supply, also in view of the looming EU embargo on Russian fuel imports by sea, expected to kick in early February. A diesel shortage and high diesel prices don't bode well for the global economy, which is slowing down and could tip into recession at some point next year. Distillate fuels are used in transportation, agriculture, manufacturing, and heating. In the U.S., distillate and fuel inventories, they are about 20% below the five-year average for this time of the year, according to EIA's latest weekly inventory report. The U.S. has just 25 days of diesel supply in reserve, with some regional markets very tight and i can go on this this article i will link definitely in the write up to this this show but ck what have you heard about the diesel shortage have you noticed anything maybe in the headlines that has caught your attention about how bad this possibly could be.
1: I remember I was listening to a podcast and they were talking or actually no, it wasn't even a podcast. I was I was reading a Doomberg thread and Doomberg is a very good account on Twitter. You should definitely go follow Doomberg, but this account really is trying to harp on the mistake that a lot of countries are doing by getting off of hardcore or and and I guess like leaning off of producing their own energy, leaning off of fossil fuels and hydrocarbons and moving away from baseload energy. And he's Mm. just saying and trying to illustrate all the ways that kind of the ESG narrative around energy production is leading us into chaos. One of these threads, the one that I'm referring to now is talking about how diesel is all cut with, uh, with, you know, a, I think it's called something blue but effectively what it does is it reduces the emissions which is great but now they're they're making engines that won't even work unless this like agent blue stuff is Mm. is mixed in with with the diesel and that and that is having shortages so there's a bunch of trucks that won't even run on just diesel which is having shortages but beyond that you know another another byproduct or another solvent that you have to mix into it. And, and that has shortages too. So uh, forgive me for some missed details on, on this. I'm definitely not a diesel expert, but just driving around town, you see diesel prices are more expensive than gasoline prices. I remember that didn't used to always be the case. Yeah. And you do know that there's a massive strain on our shipping capabilities and logistics capabilities and trucking capabilities. So, you know, throwing more strain into logistics there, throwing more turbulence in with spikes in these prices and political fallout of, of war, sanctions, etc. cetera. It's just making it even more difficult to to operate. And it's creating a, a really cataclysmic environment because we all depend on this fuel source. This fuel source is effectively the, you know, the, the bloodline that is flowing resources throughout the globe on the, in the United States. So it's absolutely necessary.
0: Yeah. I mean, diesel powers trucks, it can power trains, it can power ships. I mean, it powers everything in the, the transportation supply chains and yeah, it's crazy, man. I just uh, wish this would wake some people up because from what I read there, that goes on and on on that article, so I do recommend everyone check that out, but was basically sanctions. Sanctions are the big thing. That is what is driving this. Also, cutting- And lockdown. The, and lockdown regulations. Regulations to keep from these, these plants coming back up because they said they had to make biofuels out of this, make these refineries into biofuel factories instead of refining diesel. I mean, it is- it's just one mess up after another. I do have a couple charts. Do you want to take a look at those before we have to wrap? Let's hit
1: them. Absolutely.
0: Okay. So the first chart number seven there, Chris. This this is a diesel short-term chart. So kind of uh, you can see it goes from basically this whole year. This is a daily chart, New York front month diesel prices, you know, on the CME. So this is commodity prices. It has spiked recently. It hasn't gotten all the way back up to where it was in April, which I think is very interesting, but there's a huge gap here in the last couple of days. So I don't know what is exactly up with that, but I also have a longer term chart. If you go to the next slide, the longer term chart, is you can see back in 2008. So the great financial crisis looks very similar to the oil chart, but it has, yeah, the oil chart, but it has really come up a lot higher than oil has gotten. So diesel is at all-time highs versus oil, not at all-time highs. So CK, any comments on that chart or should we wrap it up for the day?
1: It looks like a pretty scary chart, man. <laughs> there's, uh, there's not a lot of support or resistance either way.
0: Right. But what I always say is that if it's at record highs, it's more likely to go the other direction than, you know, continuing up. So you can never call the top of a blow off, you know, like a blow off top. You never can never call the exact top, but if it's, if it's getting close, you know, the time frame is short and it, you will have a reversal. So I, I think it's bad news that said 25 days left of supply of diesel, but overall, man, I, I'm not worried. I think the U.S. has all of this capacity for oil. We can open up new refineries. We might have a period where we have some city and high, higher prices. But overall, uh, I don't. I would be terrified if I were in Europe. I mean, th- these are these are very bad situations for other places, much more than the United States. So, that's all I got for this man. I mean,
1: just just to translate, you know, what yeah. you're saying is like the diesel situation is probably going to get worse but the us will be on the you know on the the less bad side of it and and has capacity to recover whereas a lot of places globally don't
0: yes and i mean prices move for a reason you know rising prices aren't a bad thing and falling prices aren't a good thing prices move all the time for many reasons Rising prices mean something. They should tell us, they should tell the market something. And so I don't really see this as a bad thing. I mean, it's going to hurt. You're going to have to tighten your belt a little bit. It's going to hurt maybe the lower income people. And that's that's always horrible thing. But overall, I don't see rising prices as necessarily bad. I know I sound like a horrible person when I say that.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, no, you're just thinking in a multidimensional way about things versus, you know, the the immediate gratification, which is I want this for cheap, which obviously efficiency brings cheaper prices as well, but demand destruction also brings lower prices because people get desperate. No one's selling, no one's buying, and that destroys that that lowers prices too, which is the only thing the Fed actually can can attempt to do right now. So they're they're saying we need higher prices, whether they're making it happen or not. Ansel, where can people find you?
0: On Twitter, at Ansel Lindner. Check out Telegram, tme forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. And now all my live streams are going up on my podcast, Bitcoin and Markets. So just search for that in any podcast app. And on Rumble, new channel on Rumble since my YouTube was terminated. That's it. CK, how about you?
1: YouTube, get Ansel back. All right. This guy (laughs) has so much alpha. Also, subscribe to Bitcoin and Markets. Y'all, you can find me at Twitter uh, uh, or on Twitter at CK underscore snarks. Also involved in everything we do, Bitcoin Magazine and Bitcoin Conference. So go to both. Go buy a Bitcoin Magazine. Go to the Bitcoin Conference. Ticket prices are going up. Use code Live to save. All right. Peace.
0: What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out bitcoinandmarkets.com, where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time.
2: Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code Live to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. The censorship resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.